Good morning, everybody. Today, we're going to be, as Hashem, be learning Daf Samach Zayin in Maseches Yuma. I'm happy to report that Andrew is looking particularly spry today, so we can only anticipate good auras from him. The Mishnah on Samach Vavam Beis continues with the Seir uh, HaMishtalach as follows. Now we're heading out to the cliffs, guys. We're heading out to Azazel. We'll explain where the word Azazel comes from today, so you have something to look forward to. Miyakir Yerushalayim, says the Mishnah. These are the Chashuve Yerushalayim. The important men, Hayu Malavin Oso Ad Sukkah Rishona. They accompany him until the first Sukkah. What do you mean Sukkah? Isn't this Yuma? Sukkah will be soon. But what is happening? Last Rashi and Samchavavam Beis. Sukkos Asulo Baderech. That there were rest stops on the way. How long was the way? We're going to see. We mentioned it yesterday. It's going to be Machlokas. I think we're going to go with Rabbi Meir that it's 12 mil. Do you think the Ishaiti had like a beat up Camry with a sticker that said 12.0 in the back? Andrew likes that. He likes marathon references. So they did rest stops on the way, like on the Jersey Turnpike, Lahavdil. And Rashi adds, interestingly, he doesn't have to add this. Yeah, the people used to like make make themselves at home there in these sukkahs before Yom Kippur. So that's bringing in sukkahs early. They used to sit in these sukkahs before Yom Kippur, and the presumption I, I presume that it's so that when he goes to each place, he'll have the opportunity to feel comfortable there. It'll have the lived in. Uh, atmosphere, and so if he needs a real rest stop, he can have, as we will see as the Mishnah continues. Because don't forget, it's Yom Kippur, so how much is he already eating in these places? He's not really, but he can. We'll see. Anyway, so, so they accompany him to the first sukkah. There were ten sukkahs between Yerushalayim and the tzuk, right? The, the edge of the cliff. We're going to see why the edge of the cliff. So now as we arrive at Samachzayin and Aleph, the math, the math gets spelled out in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Tish Imris, that the distance from Yerushalayim to the Tzuk was Eser Sukkos, which is 90 Ris, which is Shiva Mechza Mil, which is seven and a half Ris to each mil. Well, let's see. Seven and a half 90 divided by 7.5, right? If each mil is 7.5 Reese, this is the uh, source here, then if you do 7.5 times 12, you get 90. Which means that this is the Tanakama, Rabbi Meir, that holds that there was 12 mil between Yerushalayim and the edge of the, and the edge of the Tzuk. Large Rashi over here, on Sanchezayin Amad Aleph, explaining, right, how this math works. Basically, if you, he, he says, 12 mil, how do you arrive at 12 mil? He says it's a little bit different. He says, really, you have um, each one a mil apart. If you can have 12 mils, forget about the Reese for a second. 10 sukkahs, 12 mil. How does this work? So he says, you go one mil, one mil, one mil. A mil, as you might recall, is 2,000 ama. Okay? So you go 2,000 ama between each sukkah. And then the last, so, so that's 10. And then between the 10th sukkah, and the edge of the cliff, you go two mil, which is 4,000 ama. That's how Rashi explains it. That's the push-up shot here. Now, 4,000 ama, which is two mil, 
Are we going to get into issues of Tchum Shabbos? We already mentioned this yesterday. How are you walking so far with the Sierra Shalach? So we said, well, even if it was Shabbos, and even, and then we said maybe it doesn't matter if it was Shabbos, because for Isser Hatzah, we basket, not like our Gemara, um, that for Isser Hatzah, Yom Kippur is like Shabbos. This is a special dispensation that the Ish Iti is allowed to go past the Tchum Shabbos for the purposes of chucking the Seir HaMishlech off the cliff. So that is a special dispensation. Be that as it may, we're going to have the Sukkot there, and that is going to play out into the rest of our Mishnah. That means that only the Ish Iti gets to go out. We're going to get into the question of whether he can come back. Rashi, interestingly, in this big Rashi in Sam Chazayin and Aleph, has a whole, set, a whole guy that the Miltchum Shabbos, um, sort of in the middle of that Rashi, he points out that there's the famous Python, Rabbi Lazar HaKalir. Are you getting PTSD from the keynotes of Tishabov? Everyone goes, this one is written by Rabbi Lazar HaKalir. Um, so he was a very famous Python who's quoted and had a lot of piyutim on Echa, etc. Anyways, he has source of different math. But this is not like our math. We're going to go with Rashi's original thought, not like Lazar Kalir, which is the math of basically very simply one mil, one mil, one mil between each sukkah and then two mil between the last sukkah and the cliff. So let's see what would happen at these sukkahs. So says the Mishnah. So they would offer him food and drink at each sukkah. And then they would escort him. Except for the last one. Right? Because they can't go with him to the cliff. They have to, right, look from afar and check out what he's doing from afar. Now, it's really far, Birnbaum points out. Can you look? Can you see two miles away, a mile away? Uh, so maybe they had binocs. Maybe they had binoculars. Whatever the, the case may be, the point here is Tchum. They can't go f- that far. Um, as far as the support and the food, so the Rambam points out, right, that um, the Rambam points out that this is obviously, okay, the, the Ish Iti has, we treat him like he's in a Makom Sakana, in a sense, right? He's going out to the middle of the desert. It's Yom Kippur, he's fasting, and he's walk and he's doing like a half marathon. So we treat him like he's a Sakana, but then again, we only pick the fittest, right? It's survival of the fittest out there when it comes to Ish Iti. So we're picking a guy who can handle it. So first of all, um, we would offer him food, but you will see that he never, we already saw that he never accepted really the food. So he would, this is a psychological insight that the Gemara will, will point out, that really they never accepted the food, but the fact that it was there made them feel emboldened and that just knowing that they had it as backup gave them the psychological support to move on. That's number one. And number two, the point of the Rambam and other poskim is that it's not just that he's besakana. That, that's not the only reason that we're allowing him to eat. There's a special dispensation that aside from Sakana, if he just feels like he needs the energy on Yom Kippur, just like we let him pass the Tchum, we also let him eat. The Ish Iti has certain dispensations. We said he could go be Matame if, he, if he's Tame. Not that he can go be Matame, but if he is Tame, he could still go get this ear. 
uh, he was designated as such, and he can go out and he can eat, right? We're doing everything in our power to enable him to do his avoda of the day. Okay, fine. So that's with regards to walking out to the cliff. Now we're getting to the red string. This is what you've been waiting for, Barry. Barry is known for always, he's a sucker for the red string lady at the Kotel. Uh, he always buys the red string. So we go like this. What would the Ish Iti do? He would take the red string. Okay. And he would tie half of it to a rock. So again, he's splitting the red string, the red strip of wool. And he's tying half of it to a rock and half of it to between the horns of the Sierra Mishtalech. Okay, so we're going to explain, the Gemara is going to explain why half, why in Dafka in these two places, fine. And then, he's pushing the goat backwards, right? We're going to explain that that's because if you pushed it forward, maybe you would have the dexterity to sort of back it up and walk, no matter, even though we'll see it has to be very steep, it's going to be able to sort of stay alive. We don't want that to happen. We want it to tumble backwards. The whom is Galgil Vyorid, and what would typically happen, what would always happen, is that the Seir would start tumbling down this cliff. It wouldn't take until even half the mountain before it was uh, smashed to smithereens, uh, torn limb from limb. Very good. But, but then the Mishnah continues and says, Right? What, what would you do once the Avodah is done? So, Birnbaum and I were discussing, does he go, can he go all the way back home if he wants to? Well, I'm not sure, actually, but the Chiddush is that he can go back to the first sukkah, because don't forget, let's look at Rashi, Bavi Yashiv Lo. Chozer at sukkah ha'achrona, af al pisha yoytze chutzos chum, afilu bershuz, einu el alpayim amamimakom shiatzol hasham bershuz. Harkens back to, right, Maseches Shabbos, Maseches Erevin. You can only, even if you went for Shus, even if you went for to Dvar Mitzvah, perhaps, right? That's what the Mishnah said. You're not going to be allowed to go back more than 2,000 Amos. In other words, you go out for Shus. Once you go out on Shabbos for Shus, you've established a new Tchum of 2,000 Amma. You can't go back more than that. Well, he finds himself in the middle of the desert at the edge, of, at the precipice of a cliff, 4,000 Amma from nearest civilization. So what is this guy going to do? So the answer is, for him, again, that's another kula that we have. Says Rashi, continues, Lezehetiro. This individual, we allow him. Lefisha me'una v'chalash. Right, so first of all, it's Yom Kippur, and he's fasting, and he's weak, and he just did a half marathon. And so, what, are we going to leave him there? In the middle, uh, with no cover? At the precipice of a cliff? In the middle of the desert? No. Not only that, if you're going to make him wait, walk me through it. If you're going to make him wait till Motzei Yom Kippur, till after an Elah, he's sitting there, where does he find himself at Tzeso Kochavim? Ve'ot says Rashi, she'yir alamod yechidu b'midwa mishetechshach. In the middle of the desert, in the middle of, you know, at night, animals start coming out. It gets a little bit uh, dangerous and scary. So we're not going to put him in that position and therefore we allow him there again in order for him to be able to do his job Right, we allow him to go back to the first sukkah. Right, this is like it sounds like the psak we got uh, on a, in a different vein of the Hatzalah guys. Right, that in order, right, the psak of they can come home from there is for uh, sakanas nefashos. 
we say, well, if we're going to allow them to, to, to get, let's say, the women to the hospital so that they could deliver their babies, if we didn't let them come home, then maybe they wouldn't go out in the first place, right? So we, the, the talk about whether these individuals can or cannot come home, we're not posturing that now, but it, it sounds similar to that, where part of the job is to be able to make it back safely, not just to be able to get there, even though there is a halakha, again, that, you don't, that typically we don't let you back more than 2,000 amma. Here we let him back the full 4,000 amma. Good. And then finally, the mission says uh, something like a uh, uh, non sequitur here. So we're going to read, as Rashi points out, there's a puzzle, that afterwards he washes his clothes. You could say he's washing his clothes. It's not, doesn't mean it's because he went a long way and now they're grimy and sweaty, but rather, the chibus begadim is an indication, certainly, that, he, that they became tame. That's what it always means. And therefore, it means that at some point they did become tame, but we don't know at what point did that happen. So we have a question. The Tanakam says, that as soon as he exits the walls, that's the point in the Avodah where it becomes tame, whereas Rabbi Shimonomim, Mishas Tchiyosolatsuk, that, right, it's like, where's this critical point of where the, the begadim become tame, is, it's either when he leaves your shalim or when he chucks the animal off the cliff. Fine. So now we continue with the Gemara. Tana Rabbanu. So now we are identifying the Tanakama as we have been doing um, uh, a few times here. Rabbi Meir is the Stam Mishnah, and he's saying that it was 12 milim. However, says the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda, right? So we have a Machlokas, how many booths there were and how many mil? Nine booths, okay, nine sukkas. Rabbi Yehuda, and they could all be reached by means of an air of tchumen. In other words, uh, Rabbi Yossi agrees with Rabbi Yehuda that it was 10 mil, but he says, guess what? You don't need to have Tesha Sukkos. So it sounds like Rabbi Yossi is saying that we're having the minimal amount of sukkahs that we, that we need to have. It, was, it would be as if, right, if you remember from Erevin, when we put an air of tchumen um, at, each, at each spot, so you put it, if you want to go the maximum amount, so you could really go 2,000, um, right? You could really go um, uh, 2,000 amma, but in each direction. So once you have 2,000 amma in each direction, so then maybe you could go 4,000 amma. That's basically what Rabbi Yossi is saying. And Rabbi Yossi is very proud of his son. And he says his son is a geometry ways, and he could even uh, do it. It sounds like Rabbi Yossi is trying to be the most efficient with the number, the least number of sukkos that you can have in order to traverse this 10 mil. So Rabbi Yossi in the Gemara continues, I'm Rabbi Yossi, bni. I was talking to my young son, Elazar. And we were trying to do the math. Maybe you can get away, uh, with only two sukkos if you, if you, if you dovetail one to the other. Um, Maybe it, you could be most efficient and judicious with even only two sukkos in order to accomplish the traversing of these asari milin. But the Gemara asks, Kaman Azlahaditanya. Well, whose opinion do you think do we follow when we find the following brisa, the following piece of Tanaic information, which is, Well, it's mentioned also in our Mishnah. It's not just a Brisa, but it's also mentioned in our Mishnah that we said that everybody would accompany, as you might recall, they would accompany the Ish Iti to each Sukkah, except for beyond the last Sukkah, they couldn't, which presumably was 
because of tchum issues, right? So it said, They would not accompany him, right, all the way to the cliff. So it sounds like at the very end, you only have the four, you only have, you have the 4,000 Amma, and you can therefore no longer accompany him. So, says the Gemara, come on, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, it sounds like it's a sheet of Rabbi Meir, because it's only Rabbi Meir who has the 12 mil total. And since he's the only one that has the 12 mil total, he's the only one that has the two final mil, the last 4,000 Amma, uh, at the very end, and therefore, whereas, according to Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi, as the Ritva suggests, the Ish-Iti could have been escorted all the way to the cliff, right? Because, because according, according, well, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's because there was only one mil from the last sukkah to the cliff because he had more sukkahs. But, uh, according to Rabbi, even according to Rabbi Yossi, the Eruv is enough to help him. Maybe according to Rabbi Yossi's son, uh, Rabbi Lazar, he would have had to, uh, they would have had to stop because he's being even more efficient and figuring it out with two sukkahs. But Rabbi Yossi's son of Lazar isn't one of the Mandamars, right? It's just, we have the sheet of Rabbi Yossi, uh, right? And, and the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. They would, uh, at least according to them, they would have been able to escort him all the way to the tzuk, all the way to the cliff. And therefore, it sounds like we have a brysa supporting that idea of Rabbi Meir of the 12 mil, as we had suggested in our Mishnah. So now we find ourselves two dots in the middle of the page. And we say it like this. I'll call sukkah of sukkah, amr la'avri muslim, remind, we're going to get into the psychology here. Tana. We learned in the Bryce that the ish iti never really needed it. He was always rugged and fit and didn't need it. The old concept of pas besalo, which is you have your bread in your basket, which is to say, when a person doesn't have to be nervous about getting food, then he's going to then then he's going to um, be able to be have less anxiety about it, right? I call uh, I coined the phrase when you're nervous about something in advance. It's called pre-traumatic stress syndrome. I, I coined a psychological term, but uh, when I explained that to my daughter-in-law, she said, "Yeah, that's just called anxiety. They they have a name for that already." All right, I tried. Anyways, so he um, so he's avoiding pre-traumatic stress syndrome because paspasalo means you know that you have it in the bag. You're not going to have to worry. Therefore, you're more ragua, you're more relaxed and less stressed out about it. And that in itself takes is half the battle. Okay, and this is where the Rambam points out he really was allowed to eat if he wanted to, um, not just bimshum sakana, but because again we're we're trying to avoid any barriers for him to do his avoda. Furthermore, So what's going on with this red strip of wool? So the red strip of wool, um, we'll see, it, it was, as we know, right? There's, there was a Pasuk. The Pasuk says in Yeshaya, this is not in the Chumash, this is in Tanakh. It says, That basically it was a litmus test. How well are we doing? If it was red, that's a bad sign. If it, if we had done our voda and our kapara was done, then we, it would turn white. So, as is often the case, a little more psychology, a lot of times, excuse me, we focus not on our obligation, but on the totza. It would be like if you're studying for a test, right, in school, 
and really you're at a point in your career like you're in orthodontics school. So really it should really, what should really matter is whether you know the material because you're going to be treating patients, okay, or you're in medical school, but you still only care about what grade you're going to get on your test. Well, no, at this point you're supposed to care about what you're doing, not what grade you're going to get. Well, it's very human nature to care about what feedback we're getting. So Kalal Yisrael became more concerned with whether the, the wool would turn white than with whether they were doing the proper tshuva. They were, right, hyper-focused on the wrong thing. Don't worry about whether you get, what, what grade you're going to get. Just worry about knowing the material. Worry about doing the true tshuva. So this is where our Gemara is going to spell out now. The Gemara asks, well, what's going on with this, with this red string? Maybe, why is he tying half of it on the animal and half of it on the, on the rock? Let him tie the entire thing on the rock. So the Gemara answers, Kevin, the mitzvah b'sa'ir, dilma malbin Well, there is a mitzvah to do it by the se'ir. Why? Because we're going to see that, right, it says that the, that the goat, right, the se'ir should carry all of, all of the uh, Averis into the, into the Eretz Gzeirah, as we'll see. So Eretz Gzeirah is that it, it has to be carried with the Seir, and that apparently shows that that's part of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is that the, that the Seir, well, no, I'm sorry, I said it, I said it wrong. The mitzvah is, rather, that the Seir be pushed off the cliff. That's the point. I apologize. Right, the, the, the mitzvah is that the se'ir gets pushed off the cliff. That's part of the mitzvah of the se'ir mishleach. Good. Which is to say, um, even if you got your kapara, that's the point. Uh, Ravari Leibowitz, the great Dafyomi master, was, was talking about at what point do you get the kapara? Right, we already talked about this. You remember, there was a vidui over the se'ir mishleach. So maybe you already got the kapara there, right? There, that was a shita. So if we already got the kapara, why are we pushing this poor, this poor animal off the cliff? So we're going to see. Some people said, this, we're going to see, this is one of the chok. This is not something that's a natural law. You wouldn't have assumed that we push animals off the cliff. Why do we have literally a scapegoat, right? If we already did the vidui on this, on the seir. Okay. So the point is that we do. That's part of the mitzvah. So says the Gemara, Dilma kadamu malbin umiyasvadaite, cave in the mitzvah b'seir. So what the Gemara here is saying is, since no, even if we knew, even if we knew that we already got kapara, we still would have a mitzvah, a chok, if you will, to throw this seir off the cliff. And therefore, um, the idea is that if we only tied the string to the stone, to the rock, so then we tie the string to the rock, the string turns white, and we figure, oh, our avinus have been all wiped out, we've done and completed our tshuva, and why throw the animal off the cliff? That's a problem. We want to avoid that because we want to throw the animal off the cliff, which is to say the mitzvah involves throwing the animal off the cliff. And because, right, because the mitzvah involves that, if we did not tie some of the string to the animal, then we would actually never throw the animal off the cliff, right? We never know. Okay. Right, that, that's, that, that's the Kiddush. What would happen if it turned white in the animal's horns? That would never happen. You tie, you tie it on the animal's, where do you tie, when do you do it? Do you tie it on the animal's horn and then throw it down? That's what it sounds like. Okay, so, so you definitely get it, you don't, you don't get a chance to, uh, to see it turn white. So that's what the Gemara then says. Maybe you tie the entire 
thing between the horns of the animal, of the uh, seir mishdalech. Why are you tying any of it to the rock? If you're tying it, to, if if in fact uh, we're concerned that it's going, that we're not going to throw the animal off the cliff, tie all of it to the animal, and then you won't have any on the rock. So the Gemara says, "Zimnin the gamish Sometimes the animal, the way it falls, you can't even see the string anymore. And once you can't see the string anymore down the cliff, so then you don't know. And we do want to know at the end of the day what our score was, whether it turns red or white. Velavadaita means we won't be able to tell whether it turned red or white. We do still want to know the score, even though we're doing the, uh, the, uh, right, even though we're doing the tshuva. So therefore, half and half. We're going to see the score, but we're not going, but we're not going to see it until we, th- after we throw the animal off the cliff. And therefore, because we do this half and half, each one presumably has like special powers that they may be turning at a different time uh, into from red to white. Anyway, the way this works is half on the cliff and half on the animal. The reason we do it on the animal is so that we would have to push the animal off because otherwise we won't. Because otherwise we might, if it turns white, not push it off. And the reason we do it on the cliff also is if we turn it off, we won't see. So there's a balance, like everything else, we keep a balance between these two considerations. Fine. So furthermore. The bright, the Brisa says, Tanarbanan, Barishona, you koshrin. So now history of this red string. Barishona, you koshrin, Lashon shows a horus al pesachulami bechuz. So you might have, re, uh, remembered this, that we used to actually tie the red strings neither on the, st- on the, on the, uh, rock or on the animal, but rather in the base of Mikdash itself, on the doorway of the ulam. And people would look, Hilbin hayus mechim, lo hilbin hayuat saving umitz baishin. Right? And the problem was, people were too hyper-focused on whether it turned from red to white. If it turned white, they were so happy. If it turned red, they were too depressed. That's not a good thing. You can't be so happy to stop doing ch- so as to stop doing tshuva, and you can't be so depressed so as to be discouraged from doing tshuva. We have to just do the tshuva. And like, like I said, do the work of the tshuva. For, forget about the grade. So they had to get rid of that. And he's kinnushu koshin on pesach ulam shabifnim. So it's funny, right? They were told about the red string. The pasuk says, right? Im iu chataechem kashanim kashelag yalbinu. They knew that the tzemer they had to do, but they didn't know exactly where to hang it up. That seems to be a development later. That first they thought, well, hang it up in the outside for everyone to see. That became problematic because people were hyper focused on the wrong thing, so they hung it on the inside. But the problem is, says the Gemara, va'adayin hayu mitzitzin veroin. Yeah, but people were too curious and too hyper-focused on what would happen with the red string. So they would figure it out. They would peek inside and they would tell everybody and word would spread. They would hyper-focus on the string and they would either be too happy to do tshuva or too depressed to do tshuva. And so that was counterproductive. And therefore, So that's how they arrived at this patent now that they did where half of it was on the rock and half of it was between the horns of the Seir Mishalech. Now, Amar of Yenachem Bar Papa, Mishim Berlazak Ar Kapar, Parishona Yekoshim Loshon Shos Horis HaPesach Ulam Mibifnim, Bechevan Sheigia Sori Lamidbar, Hayumabin Vyodushinasis Mitzvaso. That it was a different thing, that they used to do it originally on the inside of the Ulam, and then as soon as the Seir reached and was pushed off the cliff, that's when it turned white. So it's a totally different recollection of the history. That in fact it wasn't tied to the 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 goat, I, I guess in the, in, in the beginning, but rather it was an indication not of their tshuva per se, but perhaps an indication that the avoida of the scapegoat 
had been done. Right? So that was there. Instead of all going out the half marathon and going all the way to the finish line, they could, they could know when the finish line had been reached based on when the red, uh, the red would turn white, which is a totally different recollection. In other words, is this an indication, a litmus test of the tshuva, or is it a litmus test of the avoda being done? Or is it hainuach, the tshuva, the avoda being done, is the indication one or the other? Anyway, fascinating, fascinating uh, psychology here of the red turning white. When do we, in fact, have the kaparasavonos relative to the red string and to this year hamishtaleach? Finally, we get to the pasuk that is the source of all this, Right, right. We've been talking about from the from from the beginning. If right, even if your sins, if you even if you were so filled with sin that it was red, they will become white like snow. In what other culture is red represent sin? Scarlet represents sin, and white represent uh, white represent um, purity. Every, every culture, Andrew. That's pretty much every culture. Okay. <laughs> okay, now. Um, and, and for obvious reasons, right? I mean, it just seems intuitive to us. Okay. Okay, uh, two dots, three lines up from the bottom. Okay. So, as we said, he would be torn apart. Already he was halfway down the mountain and it was torn apart to pieces. Remember, that was one of the questions they asked. Um, Rabbi Lazar, when he came from Eretz Yisrael, he said, what if it's not? What if it, at the end it's just grazing like nothing happened? And he said, you'd have to go out and kill it. Okay. I mean, he, didn't, he was evasive, but Chacham said that was Allah. Now, the question that's interesting that the Gemara asks here is, is there an Isra Hana on the torn apart pieces of the Seir Mishalech if one were to be um, canyoning at the bottom and finding pieces of Seir Mishalech can you feed it to your dog? So, Can you have hana from these Ivarim? That was actually Machlokas, whether you could feed the remains of the Sir Mishlech to your dog. As we turn to Samach Zayin and Beis, What does that mean? Well, Rashi. First Rashi in Samach Zayin and Beis. Bamidbar, Shalakis Sayyir Bamidbar, Vikrayasera who Lamidr Shaye Hefkar Kamidbar. Ah, okay, so Rashi is spelling it out. Um, in other words, it's mutter because it says Bamidbar the word midbar, which implies hefkar, and therefore if it's hefkar, that means it's mutter bahana. Okay. And the other one it says Dixiv Gezerah, right? That's the Pasuk. The Pasuk is in Vayikra actually. Vayikra Tazain Khavbez. There's the word gezera. And the seir should be right thrown out into the into the sent out into the desert. So the there's two words here: gezera and midbar. Midbar is a, an allusion to hefkeres, which means that it should be mutarbana. And gezera, as Rashi says, is lashon chomer veiser. Gezera sounds like gezera. Like gezera sounds like something is aser. And therefore, that is an illusion. None of these sound like direct references to our question, but certainly allusions to uh, our question as to whether Gezerah sounds a lot like Aser, Midbar sounds a lot like Hefker, and Mutter. So now the Gemara asks, Mandamar Asur, and Hai Midbar my Avidle. Okay, so let's say you think Gezerah means that the, that the um, remains of the Seer Mishlech are Aser Bahana. So what is the Pasuk Midbar is teaching you? It says the Gemara, Mibar Lelechadetanya. He needs that for the Brisa because the, the, the Brisa says um, that the 
parsha of the Seir Hamishtaleach contains the word Midbar actually right three times. It says, if you go through it, uh, it says Hamid uh, Bamidbar, as we said in this pasuk. There's also Vasir Shalal Lavagor Lazazel Yamar Chalif Neshem Lechaper Lav Lashalech Asol Lazazel Hamidbara. Right. It also has the word Hamidbara, and also in Vayikra Tezayin Chaf Aleph. Right. The previous pasuk it says Biyad Ish Iti Hamidbara. The Samach Aron Shteyadav, and he said that this is already the aforementioned pasuk that we mentioned yesterday. Count it all up. It says Bamidbar in the pasuk we first pasuk we quoted, and then in these next two psukim that we just referenced, we say Hamidbara once each. So we say Bamidbar, and we stress and emphasize it three times. Okay, so we already are mentioning it three times. So why would we do that? So says the Gemara Lerabos Nov Vigivon, which is a place. Right, Shilo Uves Olamim, which is to say that this idea of the Sir La Azazel applies in all of those places and time and place in history. Novan Givon, which the Mepharshim explained why that's one place in time, and Shilo, obviously, the Mishkan, and of course, the Beis Olamim, which is the Beis Hamikdash, which is to say, right, and we've already had references like this, whether you were in the Midbar, the actual Midbar back in the days of Aaron Akoin, which is when the original Psukim are given, or you find yourself living in the times of Mishkan Shiloh, or you find yourself living in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, you're going to have this mitzvah of the Seir HaMishtalech, it applied in all time and place, okay? And so that is why you say Bamidbar, uh, according to the Shita, right, that says that, that you have, to, that the uh, limbs are forbidden from the word Gezeira. Fine. Ve'idach, how do you do it the other way around? If you think Bamidbar is actually teaching you that it's Hefker and it's Mutter to use the remains of the Seir Mishtalech, what are you doing with the word Gezeira? Hi, Gezer, my Avidle. What do you do with that word? So the Gemara answers me, Well, that will go like the Brysa, Gezerra. Gezerra is referring to what? That you have to send it to land. Gezerra, the literal translation is uninhabited. In other words, Pashup Shat. Or, Ein Gezerra Elachatucha. Gezerra doesn't only just mean that you send it into Midbar, because that you would know anyways, because that, that, that's Meferish in the Pasuk, but it's teaching you the nature of the cliff. That the cliff um, from which you throw off the Sierra Mishalach has to be sharply cut. Or Davar Acher, another explanation, Ein Gezerah El Davarim is Gazer Vyorid. A sheer drop, as we call it, literally. Right? Has to be a very steep drop. Davarim Gazer Vyorid. Okay. Fine. Um Chatucha also is very, very steep. That's what Rashi says. Chatzok Chatuch Bizikifa Velomishupakokach, meaning not not much of a grade. Uh, very, very steep. Or davar acher gezera shematomer maisetohu. So here's we get into philosophy again. You might have thought this is an amazing Rashi. You might have thought, wait a minute, why are we doing all this? Like, don't you think tumbling this animal off a cliff is a little bit weird, Rashi? Maisetohu ma ma kapari yesh b'shiluachze ma yesh b'yatsukze lahoil. What what are we doing here? Well, how is, how is Kapara achieved by this uh, peculiar practice of sending out a scapegoat and throwing it off a cliff? Like, well, like, like, isn't this a weird behavior? So, lest you say that, it's a gezerah, right? It's a chok. This is a calendrical coincidence, guys. We're reading Parshas Chukas. We're going to see that more in the Gemara. This is one of the chokes. You would not have intuited this. 
This is not like a natural law that 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 the code of Hammurabi would have would have come up with, but it is in fact the Gezer Minatara, a Gezer Sakasav, as we say, that this is a um, that this is a, a helpful practice for us. Talmud Lomar Ani Hashem. The Torah says Ani Hashem Gezartiv Vein Lechal Rishos Lehar Herbayam. Right? It's a Gezer Sakasav. Only Hashem knows why this is a good practice, but trust me, it is okay. To which the Gemara concludes, It's interesting, right? We said, what does uh, the, the Manda Amr who says that Gezeira is, is the source and, and what does the Manda Amr write that it's, us, that it's Asr or the Manda Amr who says that Bemidbar it's the source that it's Mutter mean and really all of these Brysos sound like we're incorporating them, right? We certainly send it out always to the Siyah Mishleach Hamidbara and we also certainly throw it off the sheer cliff but it's more Mistaber to go with the Manda Amr that it is Mutter because why would the Torah say, this is what the Gemara is saying now, why would we, Rava is pointing out, why would the Torah tell you to throw out um, the Seer HaMishalech off the cliff and then letakala, and then put someone in a position where they're unwittingly walking down and canyoning down there and they find themselves being over a serious violation um, just because they saw some animal remains that they are now feeding to their dog. As Rashi says, adam, that a person is going to unwittingly just find these remains, and, you know, he's going to use them. How's he supposed to know? So why would we do that, right? He doesn't know. And therefore, Rava says it's logical to assume that it's mutter to use these things because the Torah would not put somebody in that position. So now we're 12 lines down on Sadaqzayim and Bez, and we say, Tanur Okay, the description of this cliff, Azazel, Sheyeh Az Azazel is a composite of the words Az, which means strong, and, right, uh, El, which means rugged. Yachol B'Yeshuv, you might have thought that you could do this in the middle of an urban area, throw them off the Empire State Building. Talmud Lomar B'Midbar, so that's why the rest of the Pasuk says, do it in the wilderness. Uminayin Shibitzuk, how do we know it has to be a cliff? Uh, you could also throw it off a mountain. Right? Why off a cliff with a sheer drop? Talmudomar Gezerah. Gezerah means that it's cut sharply into the mountain. Okay? Tanya Idach, uh, for the Brisa, Azazel means Kashesh Baharim. It has to be the most rugged of mountains. Right? That's the word El, um, in Azazel means that you should take it from the mighty. El means mighty. So it has to be a strong, mighty, rugged mountain. Okay, and time to be very small. Azazel shemechaper amaisa uza ve'azoel. Oh, it's a reference. Right, we says azazel. It really sounds like um, like something more uh, something more like religious. And so Rashi here uh, tells us the maisa uza ve'azoel. There's a medrash in Bracious. Basically, um, they were. It's 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 a four line Rashi here. He says malachi chavala shiardu laaretz b'mei nama achos tuvalkain. What's the backstory? They were these angels, and the angels um, were watching the human beings in Parshas Bracious down there in the early, early days of Tuvalkain, and they saw that they were in fact all sinning. The flesh is weak, and human beings were acting not in accordance with how they were supposed to act. And they said to Hashem, Who are these ice dwarfs? What are they doing? 
I don't understand these human beings. Hashem said, you don't understand because you're a malach. You're instinctive and you don't have a Yetzirah. They are human beings and their lot in life, their mission is to overcome the Yetzirah, which you don't understand. They said, yes, but we know that you exist, Hashem. We can't even imagine, we can't relate to having to fight the Yetzirah this hard. How hard could it be to fight the Yetzirah? Hashem exists, just do the on Hashem and stop doing bad things. Hashem said, that's because you don't have a Yetzirah. They said, well, even if we had a Yetzirah, we know that you exist, we wouldn't have this kind of, uh, we wouldn't have this kind of um, performance, we would be great. Said, okay, fine, you think so? It says the matter, she put him down. That was who the Bnei Elohim, right? Bnei Elohim, an allusion to the fact that they were Malachim, what? The Nephalim. The Nephalim, oh, they're, they're not the Bnei Elohim. Bnei Elohim, es Adam. Oh, the Nephilim. So, um... Oh, he's saying, so that, he's saying, what happened of these people? In other words, they didn't go back. No, so I think they went back. Okay, so these are not the Nephilim. Yeah, um... So, I'm not, I don't, I didn't, I don't recall whether they are the Nephilim. That's a good question. You're saying, these were, these were the giants of later. No, so I'm not sure. I didn't see that anywhere. You know, so but but the but here here let's let's zero in on the focus of the message, which is the message was. You think it's so easy? Yeah, you think it's so easy. Guess what? Those malachim were the were the were the biggest low lives of all time. They were they behaved worse because again they were instinctive. They had no right experience fighting the Sahara and they went straight straight as soon as they got the Sahara, right? They went straight for the Bnos Adam. And it became, it became a, a tremendous balagan. So that is what, it's all a reference. These are the Azazel. These are Uzo Azoel. And as Rashi points out, particularly Al Arayos Mechaper, for which the Yad David I saw in the art scroll points out, that what the Bryce is saying that even for the severest sin of Ashish right, of adultery, this Sir uh, Azazel is Mechaper. That's the point. But the point is, right, that's what we say, la zazel, meaning really, like, literally just send all of our, all of our worst avonos down the cliff, like, like, to heck with them, right? That kind of thing. Which is to say, Maisa Uzavel Zoil is a reference, just to bring it back to Yom Kippur, right? It's a reference to the most unsuccessful fighters of Yetzirah that ever existed. Even they, right, who just let the Yetzirah overtake them, like, with, without putting up a fight, they, even their avonos would be, right, uh, forgiven with the seer lazazel. And that's really what it's supposed to do. It's sort of like to compensate for our humanity is to just chuck it all and move forward. There's a, there's a musr there. I've heard in the name of Ravbina when he speaks to, when he speaks to Machanchim, you know, he says, you're Machanich and you're a human being also. So you have failings. So who are you, who are you to tell other people what to do? He says, the, only, the best way, this is one musr approach. The best way, uh, we say, sur merav tov. But the other way works also. Asay tov is right? Sometimes the best defense is a good offense and the best offense is a good defense. All kinds of battle plans to fight the Sahara, Filling your days with mitzvahs, like, you know, fighting, starting your day by fighting the Sahara to stay in bed and getting up for an early minion, etc., is, uh, is in itself a, a fight of the Sahara. And so the, um, the, uh, the Sir Lazazel is trying to make up for our human right, failings uh, to the best we can, and getting a, a blank new slate. Okay. 
Sorry, uh, another bracha. It's about It's mishpatai tasu. So this is where we get to the idea that the seira mishtalech is not a natural order, intuitive thing, but it's actually a chok, like parshas chukas dafyomi coincidence that we're going to read this Shabbos. Says the Gemara. In other words, there are certain things that even if it hadn't been written in the Torah, you could have figured it out. And these are they. Avodas kachavim, interestingly, you would have intuited Avodas kachavim, yes. Wasserman, the notion that how did Avram Avinu intuit Hashem took a few generations, but really every human being from that point on can look at the world and look at the maker and yes, Yiras uh, Shemaim is in fact intuitive. Sometimes we put up barriers, but that is something that is intuitive to human beings. The recognition that there is a creator. The others are more intuitive. Gilo Arias, perhaps also, the different aspects of Gilo Arias should be obvious, right? Even people who don't have the Torah, uh, even before the Torah was given, there was understood some aspect of Gilo Arias that it was not okay. Ushfichos damim, certainly killing. Vegezel ubirchas Hashem. Ubirchas Hashem sounds related to Avodas Kachavim. Cursing Hashem, never good. But Gezel, certainly lying and stealing and killing is something that we can understand, right? So those are things that are intuitive, what we call natural law. Those are things that are utilitarian and anybody could, could understand. Right? So those are things that the Satan is going to tell you, well, maybe this is not even a good thing, like the Sirah Mishalech, things that are not intuitive. And the Eluhain, what are the least intuitive things? Achilas Chazir, Levishas Shatnez, so not, so not being able to eat bacon and wearing Shatnez, these are things that don't make intuitive sense, logical sense to us, but they're Chok, Chalitas Yavama, we say, what is this procedure of Chalitza to Yavama? What is this, all this about? Taras Metzora, the Tuma and Tara of Metzora, the Seir HaMishtaleach, that's why we're here. The Seir HaMishtaleach, you look at this procedure of the scapegoat and you say, where's the logic here? This is what, right, we had quoted before. You might say, these are empty, meaningless acts. Tamadomar, Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem, Chekakasiv, the Chok. I give you this Chok, Ve'en Charishus Lahar Herbahem. You shouldn't question it. Parshas Chukas does Chukas Atayra, right? That this is not things that we question because Hashem knows all and He created it as such. With the two minutes we have left, we'll try to reach the Mishnah. It says in the two dots middle of the page, This is the end of our Mishnah, that only the Mishalech is Metam Begadim. But what, if you, what about the person who's, said, who's said, handing off? Mishalech is to teach you that he has to be on his way to the, to the Azazel in order to become Tame. So you might think that he doesn't be, the begotten don't become Tame until he reaches a cliff. Then the one he sends, that's a reboy. Rabbi Yossi says, no, no, that Azazel and Vechibes, those two part of the Pasuk are juxtaposed to teach you that he doesn't become Tameh until he reaches a cliff. And Rabbi Shimon Omer, this indicates that he throws it. It just means that he throws it headlong. And only then, after he throws it, he becomes Begadim. Hence, the Machlokas, when do the Begadim become Tameh? Either when he leaves Yerushalayim or when he reaches the cliff or when he throws the uh, throws it off. We will resume tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, with the Mishnah towards the bottom of Samech Zayin Bez.